If you brought a Bible with you, we are, gonna, we are going to be in the book of 2 John this morning. <clears throat> it's right in between 1 and 3 John. 2 John this morning, uh, and uh, if you brought your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. If not, uh, that passage will be on the screen behind me uh, when we get to that point. Uh, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling One and Done. Uh, we're looking at the four books of the New Testament in which there are only one chapter. Uh, we talked about Philemon last week. Uh, we'll talk about Second John today and then Third John and Jude over the next couple of weeks. Uh, doing this because, uh, well, due to their, their brevity, uh, these books aren't talked about a ton. And, and it can be easy uh, to overlook them. It can be easy not to value the truth within them. Uh, and really, if you think about Second and Third John in particular, uh, letters from John, and, and really all four of them, uh, you see someone who had a particular message uh, that was so urgent to communicate uh, that even in ancient days when communicating was not easy, uh, they had to get this one message out. Uh, with, you know, Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and the big longer books, longer letters of Paul, he addresses several issues. Uh, Romans is another one. Of course, there's tons of material in Romans. But in these shorter letters, it's, it's one particular issue that the writer feels that led to address uh, and is so urgent about it that they don't care if they don't have other stuff to put in it. They're just going to send this one letter. Uh, and John even kind of alludes to that reality in the end of this letter that we'll read here in just a moment. Again, Second John is where we'll be. Have you ever been praised and or complimented by someone and you knew it was fake? Anybody ever been in that situation? Uh, where you knew that someone was quote-unquote buttering you up uh, or kissing up for some reason, uh, that they were saying something about you that, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? That you just know is not true about yourself. Uh, that they would describe you in a quality that you're like, no, this is not me, I know me. You know, it doesn't sound like me and your, your spouse is snickering in the background because it doesn't sound like you at all. Is it, maybe you can identify with that, maybe you can't, I don't know. But I know that I have been in situations where I have been praised or applauded or congratulated or whatever word you want to use in a way that I knew in a manner that I knew was non-authentic. And immediately when that happens to you, what do you begin to do? Let me tell you an example. Um, when I was in high school, uh, the, one of the only places within 30 minutes that was open after we got back from a football game and a long trip on the bus was the Whataburger in Sweetwater. Uh, and so sometimes we would go, after we got back from a long trip and a football game on Friday night, we would go to the Whataburger in Sweetwater, uh, we would put the cash that we had together and we would eat terrible food. It's after 11 o'clock you get taquitos and breakfast at Whataburger. Can I get an amen on that one? Uh, so we would go for that. Uh, and there's a lot of good stories about Whataburger. But one in particular that I remember, and my parents are here, and I don't think I've ever told them this story. So you guys are going to hear this for the first time. Congratulations. Um, should have thought about that before I started with this story. No, I'm just playing. Um, my friend Landon and I uh, had driven together to uh, get Whataburger that evening. Uh, and we had someone come up and ask us for money. And I didn't really know how to handle that situation. Uh, and he was already, he didn't start there though. I, I was number 40. I had the 40 on my letter jacket that I was wearing. And I was a lineman. I look like a lineman. I know that I'm a lineman. I have self-awareness as a lineman. That's what I was always going to be. I'm fine with that. But uh, he came up and he saw the number and he said, oh, you must 
must be a fullback. Do you score a lot of touchdowns? And immediately he had me reeled in, right? Because I never got to touch the ball. I just watched my running back run through the wide open hole that I made for him, of course, uh, and run and do the do the scoring, the touchdowns, and the taking the pictures for the newspaper and all that stuff. Uh, And so he already had me reeled in on that one. Uh, And then he started asking the questions. And even then, as a probably 17-year-old young man, even then I kind of knew where he was going. You know, I kind of knew he was buttering me up. And, 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 you know, if you've ever been in that situation, you know what it's like. Uh, And so we uh, say, sure, we can help you out. I say, sure, we can help you out, even though I don't think we're in my vehicle. I think we're in my friend's vehicle. Uh, And uh, he needs a ride to a bus station. Uh, We jump in the car. Uh, I I stupidly sit in the front seat, leaving him in the back seat completely unseen. Uh, And we start driving towards the bus station. I don't live in Sweetwater. I'm not familiar with Sweetwater. Landon is. He begins to realize we're not heading in the direction of the bus station. Uh, And we stop somewhere, random street corner uh, in Sweetwater. And the guy asks if we have any money to help with the bus. And again, this is like 1230, 1 o'clock at night. Uh, If we have any money to help with the bus, I say, sure. All I got is a $20 bill. I hold it up. He pops it out of my hand. So that's perfect. Jumps out of the car. We never see him again. Um, Probably wasn't going to use that $20 to buy a bus ticket. Let's just go ahead and say that. Sorry, I have to admit that to you guys now, um, that story. Uh, But that's just one example of, you know, when someone is is giving you false praise or to puff you up or to make you feel better, that they probably want something out of you. I've had that happen with different things, with people trying to sell us stuff, uh, especially from like a Christian perspective. You know, they try to pump us up. As, I've had that happen with the pastors. They're trying to get me involved in some scheme to sell something or something like that. And you can always, that radar kind of goes up that, okay, there's more to this. Like, I know what you're saying is not true, or at least you're overdoing it. So I know that those compliments aren't real. And what you see in those settings, in those situations, is that, Even though it feels good when someone applauds you or compliments you in a fake way, in reality, it's actually worse for you than an all-out affront, like an all-out contradiction or an all-out criticism, right? Because at least criticism, you know where you stand, you know you can't trust that person if it's negatively critical, but when it's this fake kind of positivity, then you get lulled into trusting a person you end up getting taken advantage of, or you ended up getting manipulated into doing something you didn't want to. That's what that false kind of praise can often do for us. It's actually worse than all-out opposition. You see, a love that's not based on truth, especially the truth of the gospel of Jesus, is a counterfeit love. Uh, If love is based on anything other than truth, and from our perspective as Christians, other than the truth as we know it in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the one place that we find love. And so if love is based on anything else other than that, it's not true love, at least the love that that the Bible would describe. Let me ask the flip side question. Have you ever been loved by someone telling you the truth, especially when it was difficult? When someone spoke something that sounded borderline harsh into your life, that although you didn't want to hear it, you knew you needed to hear it. Have you ever been loved in that way? You know, when we say the word criticism, that carries a connotation with it, that we automatically feel attacked, it automatically feels negative, but criticism doesn't have to be attacking or negative. Criticism can be helpful. If we're mature and we know how to absorb such criticism, filter out, you know, the harsh, uh, you know, character assassination attacks, filter out that kind of criticism. But criticism that's meant to be helpful is something that's good 
for all of us. Many of you work in jobs where you probably at some point in your life either have given or have received annual reviews from your boss. Have you ever worked in the education system? Oh, you know, I know that's, that's part of what you do. You get uh, uh, evaluated by your superiors and they kind of tell you, here's some things you're doing well, here's some things you need to work on. That's true in most careers. You have people that do that for you. Uh, most of you, I think, would agree with me when I say one of the least helpful kinds of reviews is, oh, everything's perfect. Just keep doing what you're doing. Everything's great. With no sense of, hey, here's some things you can work on to do better. Here's some things you can work on to improve. You know, the best kind of review is, hey, you're killing it here, you're doing great here, but if you could pick this part up a little bit, I think you might do a little better. That's the kind of reviews that, again, if we're mature and we're secure in who we are as a person and who we are in Jesus, that we want that type of information so that we can become a better version of ourselves in spiritual formation so that we can look more like Jesus. We want people who speak truth into our lives that when we are stepping out or stepping away from what it looks like to follow Jesus, that someone can correct us in a loving way and give us truth when we need it. Real love includes the truth no matter how difficult the truth is. And that type of love is what is best for us. Jesus was one who gave love the ultimate definition by what he did and the way that he lived, yet he also spoke truth, especially to the religious elites of the days, the scribes, the Pharisees. He didn't mind speaking very, very, very pointed truth to address issues that they needed to work on. And so what we're going to see in John's second letter that we're going to focus on this morning is how love and truth go together and how John valued truth so much so that he penned this letter with one subject, with one goal, and that was to protect the truth so that the Christians, the church that he's writing to, might celebrate the love of Christ, but to do so within the boundaries of the truth and what is good and what is right. Uh, and so we're going to see John kind of address this issue. Before we open our Bibles and read together, let's pray one more time. Father, we again thank you for today. God, we thank you for your presence here with us, within us, among us. And God, we thank you that in you, we know that we have truth. And God, we also thank you that in you, we know that we have love. And that we don't want for either one of those qualities in who you are. God, you are truth and love and you are perfect. God, we give you glory for remaining so, no matter what's going on around us in the world. God, it's why we know we can sing the things that we just sang about you, because of how good you are, and because of how true you are. God, may you, through your love and truth, and through your word, and through your Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us this morning. God, may you remove distraction from our minds and our hearts and communicate exactly the truth you want to communicate to us. And may your Holy Spirit do a work of transformation within us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Second John. <clears throat> John writes these words. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us will be truth, or excuse me, will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. 
I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who did not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This elder that starts this letter out, we believe to be John, also the John who wrote the Gospel of John, the Apostle John who likely also wrote the the book of the Revelation. Uh, And he is seen in this aspect, in those qualities, but also specifically as a church elder, a church planter. Uh, Just like Paul went and started several churches, uh, John, we know, probably also did the same thing. Maybe not to the degree or to the great distance that Paul did, uh, but John had congregations that he helped get started. And so he calls himself the elder in that capacity. And when he talks about the elect lady and her children, uh, we believe it's John using a metaphor, that he's not actually writing it to a specific person, but whether he's writing a specific congregation. And so when he says to the elect lady, uh, the elect was a, a favorite way of biblical authors to talk about those who, are, who were part of the church, who had received salvation, whom God had chosen to bring into the family. And so when he talks about the elect sister, he's talking about a particular congregation. And her children would, of course, be the members of this body, this church. Uh, And even at the end, when he says, the children of your elect sister greet you, uh, we could tell that John was probably with another one of his congregations, and he was sending their greetings along. John sets the tone early by you could probably hear the repetition. I tried to add a little emphasis on it by talking a lot about truth at the beginning and love and truth in particular. This was obviously his goal was to prop up, to highlight the truth and the truth in love so that we might love one another according to the truth to the point that he even goes so far as to say, I want you to love one another and here's what love means, that you obey God's commandments, that you obey Christ's commandments. And and John is so anxious about protecting the truth in this situation because there are deceivers among the congregation. Talks about that directly in this letter. We believe it's probably also some of the same group or at least some of the same issues that he deals with in 1 John chapter 2 in dealing with a group of people who were teaching falsehoods, teaching things that weren't true. These deceivers, these deceptive ones were teaching something, not just some little doctrinal point that was a little different. They were teaching something completely counter to the most, one of the most important facets of the gospel of Jesus. And what they were teaching, as uh, uh, John says in uh, verse 7, those who do not confess the coming of Christ, of Jesus Christ, in the flesh. What that probably means is that these guys, whoever they were, were teaching that Jesus came 
but that he didn't come in the flesh. That Jesus didn't wear the same skin that we did, that he wasn't fully human. Uh, it was a branch of Gnosticism, which I'll explain a little bit more of that word here in a second. You've probably heard that before, uh, some of you. Uh, and, and basically, it was celebrating this secret or hidden knowledge or wisdom. And many Gnostics believed that anything that was material was evil. Uh, anything that was fleshly was evil. Uh, and so it was a logical inconsistency for them to think that God in his sovereignty, in his purity, could ever live inside evil human flesh. And so many would teach that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, instead he came in the appearance of the flesh. Might have been something that they taught. Jesus looked like a man, walked like a man, talked like a man, but he wasn't a man is what they would have said. That either he was some sort of special creation by God that was different, or he, it was just a, 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 a trick, basically. Now, they wouldn't say the word trick, but it was an illusion to where he looked like a man but wasn't actually a man. Now, if you're thinking in your head, uh, that sounds wrong. It does sound wrong. And one of the main reasons why it sounds wrong is because if you really believe that, it takes all of the punch out of the crucifixion, right? Because the crucifixion was God entering into human flesh and taking on human pain, taking on human sin to the point of allowing it to actually experience death himself by dying on the cross for our sake. And it takes the punch out of the resurrection as well, that Jesus was resurrected that he physically died and that he was physically resurrected on the third day, none of those things have the same impact if Jesus only came as a spirit that looked fleshly. And now we don't, I mean, that teaching probably still exists in some circles today, but we don't have a huge problem with it today. But we do have problems with other teaching like that, meaning that um, meaning that I'm getting ahead of myself and I'm going to come back to that, all right? So put a pin in that and we're going to be back to that. Um, John is, at the beginning of the letter, grateful that many of the members are walking in truth, again, celebrating that truth word, that they're uh, following Christ according to his commandments. John encourages the, 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 the church that he's writing to to love one another, but he also explains that what, what love looks like is to walk according to Christ's commandments. And really, this isn't that surprising for John to write. John was the one who recorded in his gospel in John chapter 14, 15, who recorded Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John actually sat and heard Jesus say those words. And so John, the apostle, knew what love looked like and what love looked like was in part obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ, to doing what Jesus asked us to do. And so he's repeating that just in different words, that this is what love is. It is obedience to Jesus because there are deceivers who weren't walking appropriately. Now, back to the, the deceivers, back to the ones who were trying to lead people astray. John is so opposed to this form of teaching, probably because of, of, of the fact that it takes so much away from the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, that he calls the one who would teach it, the one who would propagate its teaching, the Antichrist about as strong as you can possibly be in, in Christian insult world. Calling someone the Antichrist was about as wrong, as bad as it could get. Because what, what John was basically saying about these people was, 
that they think and they present themselves as if they're teaching some extra knowledge about Jesus, but in reality, what they're teaching is in direct opposition to the person of Jesus Christ. It's what the Antichrist means, someone who is opposing. For every force, there is an equal and opposite force reacting against it, right? And so John is teaching that this is the the opposite force going the opposite direction, pushing back against the truth, this message that that this group was trying to spread. And he says about them that they go on ahead of everyone. It says they've gone out into the world, apparently they've left the fellowship, they don't claim Jesus in the flesh, they are the Antichrist, and that they have gone on ahead is one word that he uses. We might say the phrase that they have gone too far. But, and now we're finally back full circle. One of the markers of a false teacher is someone who says that they have a new or secret teaching or hidden teaching. Those are words that if you ever hear them, even in the Christian published book world, if you hear someone saying new or hidden or secret, you need to have your radar up. Uh, and, and you need to be ready and have your pump primed to recall scripture to memory, the actual truth, to oppose any falsehoods that might be about to come your direction. Because the Bible tells us there is nothing new under the sun. There is no wisdom that God does not have access to, nor that his people have had access to. Now, here's what I'm not saying, right? I'm not saying if someone shows you something in scripture that you've never seen before, that that's bad. Let's take a a passage, like a random passage out of the Old Testament with a book that you might not be familiar with, Obadiah or Habakkuk or something like that. A book that you you haven't read in a long time or you're just not that familiar with what's going on there. And someone brings that up and, and teaches you something that you haven't ever seen there before. If it comes out of the text, it's a good thing. It's a good holy thing and we should celebrate that. But this idea of what the Gnostics would do is that they would say they have new information, like new outside of Scripture. Uh, They have hidden information, where there's like one obscure verse out of the Old Testament that they build an entire theology upon. When that happens, we need to be careful, okay? And I'm not saying be rude about it. Uh, Honestly, and I've told you this before, you should test every word that I say. You should test every word that Joel says. You should test every word that comes out in our newsletter. You should test every word that is man-made by the one that is Holy Spirit-inspired. We ought to test all truth against the truth. And that's kind of what John is getting at and the lesson that comes to us. Like I said, we don't deal much with someone teaching that Jesus just came in spirit and not in flesh. But we do have, if we begin to think about it, we do come in contact with those who would add to the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who would say things that are not true, that the Bible does not say, that would promise things that the Bible does not promise, uh, that would say things are going to be easier than what the Bible says is actually going to be difficult. Uh, And we need to be aware and be mindful of those types of teaching so that we do not accept them without first refining them through scripture. The church, according to John, is to refuse the teaching of these deceivers. And not just refuse, but don't even entertain them, John would say. Uh, In his context, uh, you would have had teachers that just traveled the countryside. And and that's what Paul did. That's what John did. That's how they spread the gospel. So you would have people stop and try to teach the truth. What John is saying is if anybody comes and teaches this falsehood, don't even let them in your house. Don't feed them. Don't greet them. He's not saying attack them or be mean to them. He's just saying see them on their way. 
And then he goes on to say, because if anyone greets them, then they are essentially approving of their work. Verse 11, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And so that means we have to be careful as Christians to make sure that we and the people that we celebrate are teaching and speaking and following the truth and nothing else. Because if we are celebrating an author or a a news personality or pick any other like man-made source in the world, if we are celebrating that and it's a source of untruth or it's a source of confusion, God is not the author of confusion, amen? If we are celebrating someone who is a source of confusion, we are going to seem to the world as if we are authors of confusion, We are going to seem to the world as if we are putting the stamp on everything that this author has to say or that this musician has. There's so many different places and people that we can put on a pedestal that only the Bible and the truth of God needs to be on. Amen? Amen? This is the one place of truth. Yeah? Not from any other source. And we have to make sure that we check all truth against this truth because if we don't, what are we communicating to the world? We are communicating to the world that we are not to be trusted. We are communicating to the world that we share truth. Maybe truth that makes them feel better. Maybe truth that tells them if you do this, then you're going to prosper in this and this way. Maybe truth that tells them, you know, everybody who agrees with you is right and everybody who disagrees with you is wrong. That kind of truth that ought to put up a radar that says this person is lying to me just to make me feel better. And if that's what we're communicating to the rest of the world, then we might as well, in Jesus' words, tie a millstone around our neck because if we cause one of these little ones to stumble, there is some trouble waiting for us. We ought to be purveyors of truth when it comes to what we speak in the world. If you quietly allow any false teachings, sit back and allow them to happen, you are broadcasting the work of the Antichrist. There is no, like, option to just... Ignore it. Because that's basically what John is saying. Even if you welcome them into your house, you know, you, you let them hang out and then you move on. You don't, you don't celebrate their teaching or you don't tell other people about it. Even just allowing it to be around you is a problem. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is really truth honoring? More to the point, what is really loving in the world when we hear an untruth? And I'm not talking, again, about some little doctrinal point. That's not at all what I'm talking about. If your takeaway from this message is, I need to go talk to the people in this other denomination because they worship differently than we do, then please don't tell them where you go to church, okay? Please don't tell them what pastor you just listened to because that's not at all what I'm intending. What I'm asking you and what I'm trying to communicate is John is dealing with a king issue. The nature of Jesus himself that he was fully man. That's pretty important when it comes to our salvation. That if they are right about what they're saying, it completely changes the nature of why Jesus was here. If they are right that Jesus only came in the spirit, then Jesus didn't sacrifice himself for us because he couldn't experience pain. If they were right that Jesus only came in the spirit, then Jesus was just, here's a, a worldly term that we're familiar with, an example to live by, who showed us and taught us some good things, but not actually God in flesh. That's a big deal. And so this is why John is so passionate about defending against it. And so we, 
in the same way. I'm not talking about the little things. In the little things, we should have charity, right? And the things where you can find scriptures on either side, and you can come and you can say, here's what this says, and the other person says, here's what this says, and you can proof text back and forth. I'm not talking about that. In those, we should have charity. In those, we should have liberty. In those, we should celebrate differences. What I am suggesting, though, is when it comes to the very nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if someone would say that, that there's no such thing as sin, if someone would say that, that, that I can, uh, you know, as, as long as I live a good life, that I get to heaven, or if someone would say that uh, Jesus only came for a select group of people and not everyone, if someone would teach something that is completely antithetical to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it is untruthful and, I would contend, unloving for us to sit by and say nothing. Those of you who had parents that disciplined you, which is probably most of you in the room, in the moment it wasn't fun. But you knew later on, especially if you had kids, when you looked back on that, you knew that what they were doing was for your good. Hebrews tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves. He corrects those whom he loves. There is a part of love that involves telling us where we need to fix things. And it is not loving of us as the church of Jesus Christ to sit by and not speak truth when lies are being spewed left and right. This message was very important to whatever congregation John was writing to. And I've only been on this planet 37 years, so take this for what you will. But when I look at the world and I look at the context of the, the world that the Bible was written in, uh, when I look at the history of the first century world, when I studied all of that in seminary, I can't help but think this world looks an awful lot like that world in a lot of ways. Kind of the, the way the Romans worshipped so many different gods and it was materialism and empire building and, 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 and everything was just moving. It seemed quicker than it ever had. Uh, and, and if you go and you read Roman history, it was like the Romans didn't know things were going off the rails until they were off the rails. Uh, and you just kind of get this feeling that all of these cultures were coming together in the Roman world. Christianity was right in the middle of it. It's one of the reasons why Christianity spread so quickly is because God interjected it at that perfect time. I can't help but feel that we're back in that place where you have people like the philosophers that are questioning what is truth anyway uh, and that everything is back up for grabs uh, like all definitions of truth and love and right and wrong it, it's all just relative again and and people are trying to define it and it's getting back to just like the 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 group that that paul talked to uh, when he went to athens and he preached at the altar of the unknown god you know there seems to be this kind of spirit in our world today of well that works for you this works for me let's go our separate ways we as the church of jesus christ have to be willing to in that situation tell the truth and if it's not in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not truth. And if it's not truth, it's not love either. And if we are not being truthful in a world of lies and deceit, we are not being loving either. And so here is my challenge to you. Your main source for how to live in this world, your main source for showing others how to live and be in this world should not come, should not start 
from anywhere other than this. Now, I want you to know the things I'm about to say, I'm preaching to me too, okay? So if, if your toes hurt, mine do also. But I need you to know, in love, with truth, that when we see the events, uh, a pandemic, unrest, uh, all the things that happened before 2020 went extremely abnormal and it was already fairly abnormal, when we see all the events and chaos going on in the world and our first reaction, our first uh, 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 thing through which we sift the events of our day is not this, then not only are you and I living in sin and living in error, but we are becoming a blind person leading a bunch of blind people and we don't know where we're going. Because if the first place we turn is to the talking heads on television, our favorite political pundit, uh, our, our favorite politician, our favorite author, even if it's a Christian author, our favorite uh, uh, social media personality, or our aunt's daughter-in-law's sister, or whomever who said that one thing that was really good, if our source of truth starts anywhere other than the truth of God, we are missing the point. And so if you want to know what is good and right, what is profitable for teaching and rebuke, what is good for you in everything that you do in your life, and what happens to us in this world, we have one source to which to turn, and that is the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit giving us the power to understand what he's saying. And so I want to encourage you during this time of invitation that we're about to have. This world needs love. This world needs truth. And the source of that combo, truth and love, is found in Christ alone and nowhere else. What I want to encourage you to during our time of reflection is to ask yourself that question. When I interpret or when I digest the events of the day, where do I start? Do I start with scripture? Stuff that I have memorized for those of you who do or if not, do I turn to scripture? There's so many different ways to access every part of scripture. Word searches, Google, for goodness sake. There's so many different ways to figure out what scripture says about certain topics. Is that where you start? Or do you turn to other voices that normally agree with you and make you feel comfortable about yourself? Do you turn to those first? And if we start, and again, I'm talking to me too. If we start anywhere other than the word of, of God, who is Jesus Christ, who is given to us in this book. If we start anywhere other than that, today is the perfect time to repent and ask forgiveness, receive that forgiveness that he's already promised us, and then choose today to be the day that we decide that from this point forward, we will interpret all events in our world through the lens of scripture first. I'm not saying other people can't be helpful. I hope you understand that. I'm saying scripture first, prayer first. If we don't open our Bibles and hit our knees in prayer first, all of that other is just an echo chamber that is going to lead us the wrong direction, not the right one. And so perhaps now you can ask God to give you wisdom, courage, reminders from the Holy Spirit throughout your day to turn to his truth first. During our <clears throat> time of response, 
The altar is going to be open. If you want to pray about this, you can come and kneel here at the front and pray if you would like to. You can pray, <coughs> as always, right there where you're at. Uh, I'll be down here to pray with anybody who wants to pray with me for this or anything else. I'll hang around after the service as well. Uh, and I just encourage you to allow God to deal with you about this issue uh, as we sing together. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Our band is going to lead us in another song. And as they do, I just encourage you to respond in whatever way God is calling you to. Father, again, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And God, we thank you for your presence here. God, we thank you that you are truth and love and the fullness of both. God, I pray that you would convict where we need convicting, that you would encourage where we need encouraging. And God, that you would call your people to be people of truth and to not simply let untruth and lies be spewed around, but instead interject the truth, your truth, into the events of this world. God, I personally ask forgiveness for turning to voices that I, uh, that I like, that I enjoy reading before I turn to you. God, I, I, I apologize and I ask forgiveness for turning to, to friends and to, to colleagues first before I turn to you. God, may you, may you break our hearts over how we have dishonored the truth and therefore dishonored the love. And may you show us what it looks like to honor truth and love in you first. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.